We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello, everyone. My name is Mike Cosentino. It is my absolute pleasure to be the host of this, the Run ATL Podcast, coming to you live from the capital of the South. It is not just me. It is your dear friend and mine, Dolomite Dave. He joins us once again, D2. You and I have been spending quite a bit of time together. It is nice to cozy up to you again, this time in studio. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, we had uh, weekend racing, uh, you know, at the Tours of the Hair, 50K and 30K. You did the 50K. I did the 30K. Indeed. Congratulations to you, both of us finishers. Again, yep. we have quite a bit of kilometers under our belt at that event now for five years in a row. You looked super strong. I did not get a chance to see you come across the finish line. We did not quite synchronize our finishes and our refreshment plans when you came across i was missing but for the right reasons i had your cold beer ready for you by the time you got there another fine performance from our friends at tortoise and hair tony and jeremy have done it yet again yeah always a great race i mean it's yeah like i said we've done it for five years they put on a great race it's always great to see the participants and to see everyone kind of cheering especially those that are coming in you know uh and finishing i mean it's 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 you know, you're they're surrounded you get they're like walking you know running through a tunnel to that finish line so that's always a nice experience to see that they have figured out a way to create what is a special memory for all of the finishers. But for you and I, we keep going back for a number of reasons. Of course, we love the course. But also, I have to say that once again, the enthusiasm that I have comes from the other participants and people I got to know both out on the course as well as in that environment kind of waiting for finishers and with the intent that with the traditional tortoise and hare story, they like for everyone to finish about the same time. So there are some starting suggestions, but it's not a hard, fast start time like there is at most races, nor is it suggested that the 30K and 50K start at the same time. In fact, the 30K starts with the intent so that it finishes around when many of the 50K finishers do. That allows us to have that cold beer in the afternoon very much deserved. In addition, there is pizza and all kinds of other goodies. For those of you who have not thought about an ultra that is run in that manner, fear not. It will be on the calendar, I'm sure, again next year. For those of you who like the concept but are not interested in an ultra, they also do one at half marathon distance earlier in the year. Both have concluded for 2018, but in our show notes, D2, we'll make sure everybody can learn more. But once again, congratulations. It's a great setup for this particular episode. We're not just going to talk ultra or trail running. Again, you and I have that personal affinity, but what we are going to do is introduce everyone to two people who are awesome. They're friends of ours. That's the disclosure, but they're real real people with real accomplishments. Specifically, we're going to have David Carter on here. He's someone I've known for a long time. And yet the reason I believe everybody's going to be able to relate to him so well, he is just in the thick of it. He's a friend of ours at UPS. I know many people, United Parcel Service, a hometown hero here in Atlanta. He's got three children. He has outdone me by an additional 
third, all teenagers. So he is busy at home with his wife. He is not someone who just fell out of a baby jogger. He is 55 years old. I know I can disclose that because if you look up race results for him, you would find that. But what he did this summer was get ready for the world's toughest foot race, specifically the Badwater 135. And then we've paired him with one of our teammates at Big Peach Running Company, Jen Raby. She spent her summer and ultimately achieved a bronze buckle at the Western States Endurance Run. She also is a real person. In addition to having a nine-year-old and obviously a husband at home, she has come from what used to be a smoking routine traded in for a fitness routine now of 13 years along with her own business of Jen Raby Fitness, she figured out a way to finish that race in under 30 hours. We're going to get some life lessons, not just some running lessons from these two. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed at, you know, just anyone who has the the thought that they want to do a 100-miler. And I've done 50Ks and people have asked me, it's like, when are you doing your 50-miler? When are you doing 100? I'm like, that thought has not crossed my mind yet. Well, and as a disclaimer, I did run Western States a number of years ago now, so it was really easy for me to relate to some of the things we talked about with Jen. One of the things I could not relate to, not before the conversation, not during, and even now, D2, as we think back to what we learned in preparation for the conversation with David, the Badwater 135, not something I have much interested at all uh neither do i i mean and and i think most runners here in georgia feel the same way they hate running in the heat here you know it's 95 running and in and, and, you know 90 plus humidity that's enough we don't need to train at 100 or 135 milers uh in 100 plus degree weather no we do not but what is very cool is i don't have to be interested in that particular event it's come up twice now Marshall Ulrich, of course, the king of that event, having done it 20 times. We'll talk more about him before this episode has concluded, but this race keeps coming up. I don't get any more interested. doesn't sound like you do either, but we're going to get some instruction that will certainly benefit us. I believe it will benefit all of our listeners. We will bring it to you unedited right after this break. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2, Beside Myself. That is how I feel about this conversation because ultra running, trail running, endurance sports in our blood. And now at the table with us, Jen Raby and David Carter. These are the superstars locally. And the reason I say that, you both have serious achievements to tell us about and to help us learn from this summer. Thank you for being part of this broadcast. Of course. So my pleasure. And so just to set this up, and one of the reasons we wanted to pair Jen and David together this summer, 2018, specifically in June and July, 
Two events, we'll certainly put this in our show notes so you can learn all about them, but just to properly set the stage, Western States Endurance Run, perhaps the most recognized 100-mile trail running event on the planet. And Badwater 135, this particular event has been proclaimed the world's toughest foot race. And those are the two events these two accomplished individuals can now say are feathers in their respective cap. Jen Raby, we'll start with you. Western States Endurance Run, that was late June this year. You finished for the first time, but maybe not the last. Just give us a sense of what it feels like now that we're taping. The beginning of October, a couple of months have gone by. And what would you say just as a Deep breath. Wow. When I look back, what an accomplishment and what a memory it was. Well, gosh, I don't even know. Um, it's it's something that sticks with you for sure. Um, you know, like any ultra marathon event, um, it, there's so much buildup to it. And with Western States especially, because the lottery chances are so slim to get in for people who don't know, basically... For every qualifier you run, you get your ticket in the hat once or in the bin once. And then for each year you don't get in, you get another ticket. I only had two tickets in the hat. I had a 3% chance. And when I got selected, um, I I didn't even know how to react. I was just like, oh my gosh, okay, time to get ready. Um, so there's so much buildup to it. And then afterwards, like other races kind of become like a notch on the belt. This one just, you know, it just stuck with me because it was definitely by far one of the hardest um, ultra marathons or hundred milers I've ever done. Well, and, and certainly it is for those who cannot wait to go to the website to learn more. Let me give you a couple of things to think about with the Western States endurance run, the temperature change. When you think about the height that can be achieved mm -hmm. as well as the depth sometimes can be 50 plus degrees on the exact same day. In addition, if you think about 18,000 plus feet of climbing. The quads get no rest either. Over 22,000 feet of descent. It is one of those things that you would never forget, not just because of the views, but because of the toll it puts on the body. The other thing, Jen, that you mentioned, now I'm going to shift over to David, and that was getting in. Badwater is the same. She mentioned a 3% chance of even getting in because of how many people apply want this opportunity. That's the same for Badwater 135. Deep breath for you. You are now not just a Badwater participant. You are a Badwater finisher. How does that feel? Oh, it feels fantastic. You know, this it was a long journey for me as well. When I when I started ultra running uh, eight years ago, I had I read Dean Carnaz's book uh, Ultra Marathon Man, and there were two chapters in there: one on Western states and one on Badwater. And the Western States chapter is, is really what got me into ultra running. I'm like, I need to do this race. It just sounded so incredible. So that was, you know, a bucket list race and, and uh, focused on that. Took me five years to get in, right? A lot of tickets. And then uh, I, I read the Badwater chapter and I'm like, that is just stupid. Who in their right mind would do that? It just sounded so impossible, yep. right? So at that point, I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. But then after achieving some other goals and, and getting some other 100-mile races under my belt, I thought, well, maybe I'm building a resume. Maybe, you know, there's a chance I could get in. So uh, so three years ago, I, I put in the application. It's a selection process. Yep. So he gets over uh, 2,000 applications from around the world. 
picks 50 new or rookies and 50 veterans who have run the race, have finished the race before. And so I would have been in, you know, out of 50, uh, I was selected out of 50 rookies. Uh, first year, not accepted. Second year, not accepted. I kept building my resume, running hot races. Uh, 2017, I went out and I crewed uh, for, uh, for one of the runners, Tim Robert, and which was a great experience because, you know, crewing that race, I, I can't even describe how the heat, I've never been in heat like that until I crewed. And then I ran, I ran 50 miles with him. And so I really got an appreciation for, you know, what it was going to take. And that was really, really good. And um, got to know Chris Kostman, the race director, and and then applied for the third time and and got in in 2018. So it was a it was a long a long time coming, but you know it was one of those things that you just set that as a goal and you uh, start to do what you need to do, you know, to build the resume. Well, I love the fact that you said setting the goal because obviously the Run ATL podcast talks a lot about goals, and I think both of you now, if you think about the really small chances that you had to even get in. And then the massive amount of work you had to get ready. There is a lesson, if not a full book, on both goal setting and goal pursuit in each of your respective stories. So I'm not going to let you off the hook to just say goal setting and then not unpack it for us a little bit deeper. In fact, Jen, I'll go back to you. Here we are, ladies first, I perhaps would say, knowing that you also have a role, an important role as a mom. You have a nine-year-old. You have Jen Raby Fitness, so your own business, plus in full disclosure, Big Peach Running Company is very, very proud to have you as part of our organization. Obviously, you're married and you have other relationships that are very important and meaningful in your life, and now yet you get in 3% or less of a chance, but it's there, and now you've got to take it. You're not going to pass. You're not going to suggest, well, maybe next year, or perhaps I'll defer this. You've got to get ready. Absolutely. So now you set off on getting ready and pursuing that goal. How would you start to say, I balanced it all as I made my way to the last weekend in June? Um, Well, I mean, it definitely becomes a third relationship. (laughs) You know, you have your, you have your family, you have your job, and then you have your running and, uh, Luckily, you know, I do, I do everything in phases and one huge, um, thing in goal setting, something I tell my clients, something that we encourage runners, um, when they come into the store and they're just starting a new running program is, um, have little steps along the way. If you only set your sights on this one big thing and life happens, a wrench is thrown in your plans, someone gets sick, someone passes away, you get sick. If something happens that prevents you from getting to that one thing, it can feel like everything's falling apart. So that's what I didn't want. I didn't want to put all my eggs in this one basket. So I was signed up for other races along the way. I was signed up for Georgia Death Race, which at that time was my bucket list until my name was drawn for Western. Um, But it it does become like another relationship. So whether or not I did Western, I had something on my plate that I would have been training for anyway. And it's a lot of early, early mornings or getting really, really creative with my training, understanding that if it wasn't going to be a run, that I had to do something. I had to be on a bike, teaching spin class, or going for myself, doing some alternative cardio, or being dedicated to a weightlifting routine so that for those quad thrashing descents that you know my legs would be ready, even if I couldn't drive to North Georgia every weekend to train on the train. Um, and that's another thing too, that the course specific training 
it can happen for some people, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And so I took some inspiration from friends I know that live in Florida, for example, all they have are, you know, parking garages and overpasses. Like, all right, well, if my friends down in Florida, Florida or down in Albany, Georgia, if they can sign up and run and complete something like Georgia Death Race, I can do that too. And I can do Western. I just have to be diligent and determined and creative. You know. Well, and you mentioned two things that I think are hyper important to pull out. And first of all, you said it's almost like another relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us who have relationships that are of significance and we believe we're pouring into, we've prioritized them. So you cannot pursue that goal or perhaps any goal in your estimation without truly prioritizing it. Absolutely. And then secondly, it seems like and you used a couple of great buzzwords, but what I took from your response is you had to behave exceptionally. You use discipline. You use creative. At the same time, that was exceptional behavior. Mm-hmm. You cannot pursue and ultimately achieve what you did if you're not willing to commit yourself Absolutely. to truly doing things that are exceptional. I'm not talking about exceptional like a word that means you're better than someone else or you are far more trained than anyone else who came to the starting line, but you're doing something that is not the rule. It is truly an exception. Mm-hmm. David, when we think about Western states, there's one big variable from Western states to what we think about at the starting line of Badwater. You're 239 feet below sea level when that race starts. We talked about the 50 plus temperature change that can exist from the highest elevation where there's snow in the Sierra Nevadas for Western states to what would be literally a furnace-like temperature at the start line and on many, many of those miles for bad water. How do you also incorporate not just goal setting, but goal enduring when you have to take those types of temperature extremes and manage them in order to get to the finish? Well, I I think, you know, the training has to be very race specific, right? So, um, my goal and, and kind of the way I approached it early in the year, I, I I didn't overdo my training. I took it easy. I knew that mentally, when I got into it, I was going to go in. I was going to go hard. And I was going to be serious. And the way I do it is I, I, I make a spreadsheet. I make my training plan all the way to the end. And I help hold myself accountable. So uh, every day, I come in the next morning to work, and I get that spreadsheet up, and I mark what I did, right? And if there's a blank, right, it's... it's uh, you know, not good for me, right? So, so that's how I hold myself accountable, and and I, I did that. I put the plan together, and uh, I knew that once I started, I was going to take it seriously. And you know, with family and and other commitments, work, uh, you, you make a lot of you know decisions. And usually, sleep is what you know is, is uh, uh, sleep is what you what you give on. Uh, I had a lot of nights where you know I'd, I'd come home on a Wednesday night, I'd have a twenty mile run. And I'd get in at 11 o'clock at night and then eat dinner and then go to bed and then get up and go to work. You know, uh, I had a lot of Saturday mornings where I'd get up at 2 a.m. and hit the road and do, you know, 30 or 40 mile training runs. Um, so it, it's just basically for me, it's, it's putting together that plan and sticking to it. And, you know, it, it's I don't need uh, just kind of the way I'm, I'm programmed. I hold myself accountable. You know, I, I don't I. I'm kind of a loner. I run on my own 
most of the time. So I'm not, you know, waiting on someone else to show up or to, you know, maybe bail out on a run and then change my plans. Uh, so, yeah, that's how I approached it. And, you know, and, and it worked out. And what I've learned from uh, really past past races is when you get into something like this, you know, you look at it, and especially when you're looking at 100 miles, you're, you're like, man, how do, I, how do I even do that? And, you know, the answer is you get a plan and you just stick to the plan. And if you do the plan, you'll do the miles and you'll get through it. And you will. It's really it's really that simple. It's, it's not complicated. Uh, I, I know that that you, you can't, at least for me anyway, I can't wing it. I, I've got to get that plan together. I, I don't run on what I feel like running that night. I mean, I typically, you know, if, if 10 miles is on the plan and I feel horrible or it's raining or it's thunderstorms, I go out and I run 10 miles. And, you know, and that has worked for me anyway. Well, that's the discipline that, that Jen mentioned. And D2, if you and I were smart, we'd probably give up podcasting and we'd go into publishing because we've got what can all of a sudden be this book. It'd be David Carter and Jen Ravy talk about goal setting and goal accomplishment because if we take the words that you gave us, and now I'm going to layer on what you just said, David, and, and the reason I'm going to do this is I think you said two things as well that are really, really important. First of all, you said the goal and ultimately the plan was very specific. It was race specific in your instance. I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit more about some of your training, but you also mentioned how accountable you were to yourself. And I don't think I'm going on too thin of a limb by saying someone who is not going to institute that level of self-accountability or put accountability partners in their life will not be successful. You have got to have the accountability. Otherwise, you don't treat it like another relationship. You don't inject the creativity that's necessary to get to the training and the whole thing comes apart. And then you're left wondering, well, why didn't it work? I think it's easy to miss that you said right out of the gate, race-specific training. We can set priorities. But if all of a sudden we're not honest, be like, well, did this really, did this time investment, did this monetary investment line up with my priority? And if the answer is no or I'm not sure, my goodness, that's a mess. Tell us about some of the ways you did your training. You mentioned this before we fired up the mic. And setting out on a summer day in the Southeast, dressed the way you were, suggests maybe that was race specific. Right, let, right. Let our audience hear a little more. Well, so, I mean, it, I, I love I love trail running, so typically I run up in the mountains, but for this race, um, I went to the roads. So, uh, the Badwater's all on road, and, you know, there are some hills, so you still got to do some hill training, but uh, it's also hot, and, uh, it, you know, it was, a, it was 127 degrees. It was record heat um, at Badwater this year. It broke a 102-year-old record. Goodness gracious. And so I knew, and I knew what was coming. I knew it was going to be hot. And, and I read a lot about how other people trained and, you know, you see, you see the videos, you get on YouTube and you see crazy people running in the sauna, uh, you know, running all bundled up with stocking caps with the dryer vent blowing on them on a treadmill. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that might be what it takes. So I, I tried to do most of my training in the afternoons or, you know, daytime heat in June, July, it was a hot summer. Yes, so we was. had a lot of we had a lot of ninety to you know high nineties temperatures. Um, I layered up four layers with a with a heavy top layer uh, and a stocking cap, and I would go out and I'd do you know twenty thirty forty miles on the road in the heat, and got a lot of strange looks. Uh, 
I was telling you earlier, my, uh, one of my neighbors asked my wife if I was okay. <laughs> and she said, no, he's never been okay. He's still not okay. This is just another uh, level of insanity. Yeah. Yeah. And one particular, particularly rough run where I was, I was walking at this point. I had some nice lady stop and ask me if I needed a ride. <laughs> and the answer was probably yes, but you politely declined. No, the answer was no, I'm, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so I'm going to continue. Yeah, so, you know, and so I, I did that. I also uh, needed to uh, spend time in the sauna. So I would spend uh, as long as I could, which was typically between 50 minutes and an hour uh, in a 170-degree sauna. Uh, I would literally take in reading material, my iPod, and uh, uh, about 40 ounces of water that I would try to consume while I was, while I was in the sauna. Uh, that did wonders actually that, that kind of heat training. I, I don't have a very high sweat rate typically. And what I was trying to do is just physiologically change my body, which after doing some research, um, uh, you know, I figured out the actually can do, and it, it really did work. So, uh, I, I got to the point where I actually would, you know, start to sweat a lot more than I used to. So I was cooling my body and, and things were working. So, um, yeah, so I spent uh, it, usually two sessions a week, um, up to an hour in 170 degree sauna, and then uh, running, you know, fully, uh, <laughs> fully clothed, and that uh, did the trick. So one of the things that I did prior to having you guys here in studio was look at your race reports, check out your results, and I think one thing that was very inspirational for me was it's not like your race, Jen, or your race, David, went perfect every step of the way. You both had some instances where the demons were out to get you. <laughs> and so even with the race-specific or goal-specific training, even with the creativity in the training routine, even with the accountability that you brought to yourself and your plan, even with the discipline, Jen, that you instituted, when it's time to go, you can't just bank on everything going your way. I'm going to start with you, Jen, even though your stories may be hugely dissimilar in terms of what didn't go exactly as planned, but that there's a lesson in it for all of us to be able to pick up and then move on. Help us understand how you got through some of those darker moments or wherever you might have been at your low in the pursuit of that Western States endurance run buckle. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, it was definitely the toughest ultra I had done um, because I think in the past I've been able to bank on a pretty good and easily sustainable base fitness level. And that's gotten me to many finish lines. And I'm not a DNFer that did not finish. I, I don't DNF. Like that is my absolute, um, you know. Just a non-negotiable. Yeah, exactly. Like that, is, that was my absolute resolve. And this race tested that like no other race had. Um, I jokingly say the middle half was the worst. <laughs> um, you know, talking about heat training and all that stuff. I did a lot of that, but it still was a bit more intense than my body was ready for. And um, I didn't account for changes that might happen with altitude. I, I thought I was kind of in the clear, but it did hit me a little bit. That wooziness, that kind of, ooh, like stand up. It's like constantly feeling like you stood up too fast. Um, and so having to slow down a lot sooner than I thought I was going to, like my legs feeling ready to go, but everything from like, you know, my waist up just felt like weird, nauseous, dizzy, everything. Um and then, you know, when when the heat really got to me and it got really hard to eat, um, 
you know, everyone was so well-meaning in their efforts to try to take care of me and nothing was working. Everything was coming up, um, to, to not have to make David have to censor this too much. Um, (laughs) everything was coming up. And so the huge concern then becomes, Oh, like I'm not, I'm not keeping calories in, I'm not keeping fluid in. This is going to be a problem because it's not getting any cooler anytime soon. Um, and then, really just having to fight with my internal systems to keep moving forward because my legs felt fine the entire time. And that was hugely frustrating Mm. was knowing that I had like the physical ability, so to speak, to move forward, but nothing was allowing it to happen. And I started to lose more and more and more time at the aid stations. Um, My coach said something like uh, estimated about three and a half hours stop time because of my stomach issues. Um, it was through friends and pacers and that absolute resolve to finish that I did get to the finish line. Um, but I had to be convinced I was, I was ready to sit and time out at an aid station about halfway through. I was ready to wait the, wait for them to blow that air horn to say, okay, that's it. Aid stations closed. And then, you know, hoping my friends and family would forgive me when we had to pack it up and go. And, uh, you know, my husband just really gently was like, yeah, you're not, you're not stopping here. You're not dropping. And my friend was like, you know, you, you haven't timed out yet. Let's just, let's just get to the next aid station. And, and it was just really interesting and mind opening to be on the other side. Cause I'm always the one pushing other people. I'm pushing my clients. I'm encouraging people to just put one foot in front of the other. And now I had to be convinced. Um, and so that was, um, a really mind opening position to be in to now understand, okay, this, this is what it's like to have to fight with myself, to have to negotiate every single step with myself. Um, and when I started to come into the clear and keep a little bit of food down and I'm talking like two blueberries or like half of a Ritz cracker or a, a little swallow of like Mountain Dew or something, then I started to realize like, okay, well I'm still moving forward and I'm starting to gain back some time. And now I'm back ahead of the cutoff. And now I'm crossing the river. And that was that was the magical moment. Like finally cooling off my entire body and almost like hitting a reset button and running that last, you know, 20, 25 miles, like like nothing had happened. Like I was fine. And it was amazing to me to be able to come out of the other end of that really, really dark long tunnel and be like, oh. I'm okay. Like, I'm going to do this. All right. You know, and then of course all the emotions at the finish well, that, that come with that. That dark tunnel. And, and I've said in the past that, especially with hundred milers, no matter how feel, how good you feel, don't worry, that'll change. But at the same time, oftentimes, no matter how bad you feel, the good news is that too can change. But what I really pulled out of that, Jen, and what I think is important to reiterate here is you mentioned two things, and maybe the wise sage of our generation, D2, Mike Tyson, said that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? You had an awesome plan. Your training treated you relatively well. You obviously gave us some elements that were absolutely necessary as you went through the training to get ready for Western States, but then all of a sudden you got things coming undone, but you had to lean into others, Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to do. And it doesn't mean it's only for ultra marathoners. I think as human beings, sometimes it's not our knee jerk reaction to lean into someone else. We like to encourage, but we don't always like to accept it. Mm-hmm. We like to give people a gentle nudging, but we don't always want to receive it. In addition, you mentioned resolve. 
That's a lifestyle. That's a habit. That is a muscle that you build long before the dark tunnel. Mm -hmm. And you had spent probably as much time long before the training for Western States started building that resolve. And thank goodness mm -hmm. you could kind of count on it in the middle of that. And I think that's such a huge lesson for all of us, no matter what our pursuit is. David, same thing. Where I know from your race report, it wasn't just, oh my gosh, what a fun day in the desert. There were some <laughs> moments that you thought, why yeah. have I elected to do this? I love Jen's analogy, a dark tunnel. Right. Yeah. You were in a dark tunnel despite being in a really bright, hot place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I, I love, I love Jen where you went with, uh, you know, the uh, leaning on others, needing others to help. Western or at uh, at Badwater, you are required to have a crew. So the whole race is on the road, and you've got a crew in the van with all your supplies. It's pretty much what you have other than ice, you know, from for 135 miles and up to 48 hours. So I have to interject one thing. For those of you who did not already listen to our interview with Marshall Ulrich, go back and do that. This is an unsupported race. For those of us who have Peachtree as our backdrop and we like, oh, they have an aid station every mile. There's all kinds of water. There's sports. That's not the case. When you talk about your crew, that's the only support you have. The race director lays nothing out for you. No. The aid stations are non-existent. Right. Okay, go ahead. I just want to right. make sure everybody understood that you are entirely on your own along with your team. Well, I, I would, along with your team. And, and, I, and I would say, you know, finishing Badwater is uh, at least 50% attributed to your crew. They, so I had, I want to give a shout out to, uh, uh, Sandy Geisel, Mike DeLang, and, and Troy Blackman, who, who were my crew. You and, know what? Did you I think Pacers. Sandy Geisel might be the first person we've ever had referred to on two different episodes of the Run ATL podcast? Yeah, we've right. had shout yes. outs. Yep. We've had kudos, but we've never had anybody mentioned twice. And, and well deserved. She, she's, awesome. she's, she is awesome. Yes. Man. Look at Jen jumping in on yeah. Sandy Geisel yeah, I mean, bandwagon. And she had, she had bad water experience and Mike, Mike did her husband as well. And, and, uh, and Troy has crewed me on, on many races and knows me well. And so I wanted somebody out there who really, uh, you know, knew me well. And, and when I get into those low points, uh, I, I certainly empathize with you, Jen, on Western States. I, I was dry heaving for four, the last 14 hours at Western States. And what that taught me, you know, they always talk about learning something about yourself. And I always, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty shallow. There's not a lot to know. But the one thing I did learn um, is that you can go a long way without calories and without water mm -hmm. and so um in 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 bad water uh there's a cutoff at mile 51 it's the 2000 foot mark and the national park service doesn't want anyone below 2000 feet after 10 a.m because of the heat and so uh that's the cutoff and it's you know doesn't seem like a tight cutoff but but you know it, it certainly was for me this year and around uh Five, so I was, you know, I was trying to keep a pretty good pace. Uh, the race starts at 8 p.m., at least my wave. There's three waves, 8, 9.30, and 11. The slower folks, like me, started at 8, and it was about 118 degrees. Um, all through the night, the lowest temps we saw were 110 through the night. That is with no sun. With, that is with just no sun. Nighttime temperature. That's the nighttime temp. It was it was the, one of the hottest. I think maybe the hottest year of the race. And around Good thing your number got pulled. <laughs> <laughs> around around five and a half hours in, I was in rough shape. 
Uh, I don't I don't really recall what mile I was at. I was I was past 17, so one of the first sort of uh, time checks is mile 17. The next one is mile 42, Stovepipe Wells. And you know, I love the names of these. So so 17 is Furnace Creek, uh, 42 is Stovepipe Wells. Um, all very uh, hot sounding, yes. uh, <laughs> quote towns, if you will. Uh, and and I was, I was feeling rough, and and so we decided, hey, let's take a little time off. So I crawled into the pastor seat of the van, and said, I'm just gonna I'm gonna rest for 15 minutes. So I curled up in a ball, um, wasn't able to sleep, stomach was was in pretty bad shape. So I'm like, well, this isn't working. So I got out, sat in a chair. Uh, someone gave me something to drink, and uh, so I drank it, and it immediately came back up. So I'm like, "All right, I need I need to get my core temperature down." And one thing I'd never thought about, actually, till even after the race, is that when we're as we're sitting here in ambient temperatures, our body's 98.6, and and it's continuously being cooled because the air temp around us is usually less than that. But when the air temp is 110 or you know 120, uh, your body's not cooling by just ambient, you know. Uh, effects and and so uh sandy just started rubbing ice all over me and just kept rubbing ice just trying to get my core temp down at one point in the van she brought me uh, uh some ginger tea that she surprised me with that she had made and unfortunately i couldn't really drink it i was trying but i couldn't couldn't get it down and 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 i started shivering and i was cold so it was, at that point it's probably about 114 degrees and, and i was sh- i was shivering wow. And so, and I knew that was bad. So I said to Sandy, I said, Sandy, how does my skin feel? You know, like, do I feel cold? How do I feel? And she's like, yeah, you know, normal. And I found out after the fact, she admitted that, like, you were the hottest human being I've ever felt. But she didn't, you know, she didn't say that to me. She didn't get me down. But she also didn't let me go back out, right? So she's like, we're going to get you cooled down. And, and so kind of got to the point where I like an hour at that at that you know, stop. It's like, you know, I got to get going because of the cutoff. So, um, so I just said, let's just walk. Let's just move forward. So I just started walking and, and still on my own. You can't have a pacer until mile 42. Uh, I saw a lot of carnage that night that I'd never seen more, uh, nor more vomit in a race than, than <laughs> in that, in that section. It was, it, there was a lot of carnage. Uh, but everyone, but I was just moving forward. I said, like, I'm just going to keep moving forward. And, uh, and that's kind of that my, my, you know, I'm not fast and, and I'm, you know, I don't have any special skills. I don't, I'm athletically or otherwise, I just don't quit. That's just kind of my, my mantra. Just keep going. You know, it, it, it never always gets worse, as they say. Uh, it might be bad for a long time, but eventually it'll get better, right, as we've experienced. Uh, so that was really my lowest point. And then after that, um, I, I did make the cutoff, barely. And then I started making up time on the cutoff. So I got through that rough patch and then started gaining time. And I, you know, got a half hour, an hour ahead, a couple hours ahead, started putting some padding, you know, some time in the bank. And um, yeah, so it worked out. But, you know, I, I was just of the mindset that, you know, I might be, I, I might be, uh, you know, doing those in very low calories, but I'm still going to keep going. I mean, until I, till they pull me or I, you know, drop over from, you know, some very serious health issue, I'm going to keep going. And, and that's just how we got through. 
Well, and I love that phrase, rough patch, because what great advice for life you're giving us, David. When you think about rough patch and having to get past it, get to the other side of it, it might be at work, it might be in a relationship, it might be something that's super, super tragic that I just personally cannot relate to, but it is still a rough patch. And I know you'd be the first to say, well, that doesn't even compare to some of the tragedies all around us or personal stories that we all know for those who we care deeply about, but a rough patch is a rough patch. And then you also mentioned, well, I'm not fast. It's all relative, right? There are all kinds of people I could put you up against, even that we've had on this podcast, that are really, really fast. And you would be right to say, well, I'm not that fast. And then there are others who are still at that point where they haven't yet committed to the first step of a pedestrian active lifestyle. And I hope it's tomorrow. You do too, but you're much faster than they are. But just to bring some context into, well, what is fast? Jen, you were on the course for over 29 hours. You were on the course, David, for over 44 hours, if my statistics are correct. Both of you are nodding affirmatively. So for those of you who are like, oh my gosh, there's not any context for this yet. There seems to be a lot of material here for me. Think about doing this up and down all kinds of climbs and descents in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I love that both of these races are point to point in the wild, wild, wild wilderness in California, 29 hours. In the hottest place on earth, 44 hours. That's a long time to do anything. What's in your mind? What are you thinking about? How do you get through even yourself, let alone the course conditions? Jen, I want to continue to start with you. This yeah. is the South. Chivalry is not dead. Ladies <laughs> first. Thank you. Um, well, one technique that I use for this and for any race really is I've actually, I stopped wearing a watch a long time ago and, and I feel like time goes faster. Okay. Um, so I, I have my phone always for safety, especially you could be out there. You could come upon another runner who's hurt. It just in case you happen to have signal and can respond. Uh, but otherwise just glancing at the clock once in a while to make sure I'm on track typically with like food and nutrition. But other than that, um, one huge mental trick is to be where you are when you're there. Don't think about what's coming next. You have to be physically prepared for what's coming next. But if you're going up one climb and you're just worrying and you're racking your brain about the next one, um, it's going to take so much more out of you than to just be where you are in that moment and to, you know, be a little bit calculated in your movement because of that. Like, okay, I've got this climb. I have another one, but I'm on this one now and I can see the top and this is a good rhythm and I'm going to keep this rhythm and just you know, be there, be there in that moment and just get through that moment and then worry about the next. Um, and then the other thing too is, you know, if you don't have like a mantra or anything that can like go through your head that calms you down, um, for me, it's usually just like, okay, stop being a wimp. Like, you know, <laughs> keep moving forward. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of mean to myself sometimes, but, um, I'll just, I'll just breathe and I'll count my breaths and it, it sounds dull, but it's almost like soothing. And that was definitely one way I got through the the heat and the worst part of the day was to just try to like be there in that moment and you know except for the part where I wanted to quit um <laughs> but still but, soothing yourself and yeah being in the moment was being in the moment how you got to the other side exactly and um you know it, it can be really easy to fall into that trap of only ever seeing the whole thing as like this, this big massive, you know, hurdle that you have in front of you. And, and then the questions start popping to like, well, what if I don't do it? What if I fail? What if I, well, just take that option off the table. Just be like, well, what if I keep moving forward? What if I keep trying? 
what if, like give it a positive spin and try to keep pushing yourself forward that way. Cause otherwise if you fall into that trap of negative thinking and you think like, Oh God, like what if I didn't train enough? What if I'm really not ready? What if I don't have business being here? Like that, that's a game ender right there. Well, in the old African proverb D2, how do you eat an elephant? I don't know. You don't know. One bite at a time. And if you think about a course that is over 100 miles through the Sierra Nevadas and 29 plus hours, one bite at a time. I love the fact that you mentioned soothing yourself. I also think whether it is your first 20 minute run ever or whether you just hate running so much in your own mind right now and it's the worst 30 minutes of your day, freeing yourself, liberating yourself from your watch is probably a great tactic and not checking the phone for what time it might be as you kind of take step after step after step. Mm -hmm. David, what would you say? That's a lot of time with yourself, 44 hours. How do you make that work? Even someone who loves being with themselves, you mentioned you're a little bit of a loner. I think your schedule probably necessitates it when you've got to do a 20 miler on a Wednesday and you're at work early and all of a sudden it's got to be at 10 o'clock at night that you go out for those miles. No wonder you're doing them by yourself. But even for someone who enjoys that time for the most part, how do you how do you get through it when it's just you for that yeah, long? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's it's uh, it's one bite at a time. I, I never approach the, the start line and, and think about, well, I've got 100 miles ahead of me. I've got 135 <laughs> miles. I mean, how do you even process that, right? So I just think, all right, 17 miles, that's the first time check. Okay, so I'm gonna so I'm gonna think about it, right. So I'm, I'm gonna just tick down the miles. All right, I'm at I'm at uh, you know eight and a half miles. I'm halfway, and then uh, let's get to double digits, right? Get to ten and twelve, and I just I just think a little bit ahead each time. In a, in a conventional race where there are eight stations, you know, five six miles ahead. It's all I think about. I I never I do think about some major milestones like when I get halfway or. Uh, like in Badwater, I was I was really looking forward to uh, I was looking forward to to Stovepipe Wells at 42. Uh, when I crewed my runner, we we took like a little extra time there, so just to kind of sit down in a chair and 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 get something to eat and just refresh. Uh, I was so cl- close to the cutoff by the time I got there, Sandy came out. And she's like, "No, you got to go." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh man, I couldn't even cross the road to go over to the uh, to the gas station." And so we just kept going, but but the next major milestone was was 72, and I knew that if I got to 72 with some time in the bank, I could I could eat. There was a restaurant there, so I was looking forward to actually sitting down, calming my stomach, uh, getting my feet worked on. They had some of the world's best blister care there. Uh, I actually laid down for 30 minutes. Uh, I didn't I didn't sleep, but I laid down and um, ate. A lot of pizza, got a big Coke, so I got my belly full, ready for the, the climb uh, that was starting and going into the evening um, up Father Crowley. And so I, I just kind of set those major milestones, but most of it's just those small increments, you know, those five, six miles. And before you know it, you know, you're at the finish line. And it, it and the same as training, right? You just, you set your training. You don't start out your training thinking, man, I've got, I've got a 16-week training plan. I'm going to run a thousand, fifteen hundred miles training for this race. You just can't think about it that way. You just have to think about what's next. And and, and then and then you'll get there. So I'm gonna take us to a break with letting you have the final word. D2 and I occasionally will weave in some of the things that we do in and around our business. One of the authors that we share an affinity for 
Jim Collins and the four letters BHAG. For those of you who are not familiar with it, we'll certainly put that in our show notes, but a big, hairy, audacious goal. Jen, Western States, I don't doubt for a second was that for you. David, I know for certain that was the case for you with the Badwater 135. For someone who right now says, okay, I understand, or I'll learn more about a BHAG. You guys know what it is. Both of you nodded. Yep, I've heard that term, or I understand it, or I've read that book. I have a BHAG in mind. Our audience has a BHAG in mind. I'm going to let you guys close this conversation by telling us what you learned in pursuing your BHAGs and accomplishing your BHAGs this summer that would be wise for all of us to take to heart, no matter what our BHAG might be. Um, Go ahead. (laughs) I would say it's as much as as it is about getting the buckle and, and having that, you know, thing checked off on like your ultra sign up stats or whatever, like as much as it is about the finish, it's also about the experience. And that's my biggest takeaway is that the experience would be something that would make me want to go back so that it isn't a finite end point to everything that I've done, that there's always going to be like, okay, what next? And so for, you know, what do you call it? BHAG? Like once you get through it, like have your BHAG version 2.0, like, um, just to relish in every moment, every scenic view, every, um, smile, every joke that your friends crack for you along the way to try to get you out of, you know, the hole that you're in that makes you doubt for a second that you can do it. Um, and then, Again, that what if, that what, that what's next. So I, I get the sense just in knowing you and having seen you in our organization that you truly embrace the journey. Sure, you're <laughs> focused on a destination, but you're so good at enjoying and embracing the journey as well. And it seems like that is something that you did this summer, certainly something mm-hmm. that this summer will allow you to do continuously in the future. David, how about from you? relative to big goals? You know, I would say, first off, we are capable of way more than we think we are capable of. Whether it's a, you know, physical activity, whether it's, uh, you know, what you want to accomplish at work. Um, I mean, it's, and, and, and the more, you know, the older I get, the more mature I get, the more I realize that. To not be afraid to set that goal, right? And And set it, put it out there, make a commitment to it, you know? And then put together a plan and execute the plan. It, it's, it's not complicated. Um, it, and, and I think where, you know, maybe some people fail is they, they don't put together the plan. They just, they just have this aspiration that is sort of on their mind. They're thinking about, but they never really take that step to say, well, you know what, to get there, uh, here's how I'm going to do it. Step A, B, C. And now I'm going to take the first step to that. And, and, and that's it. I mean, to me anyway, it's, and I'm I'm kind of a simple person. It it really is that simple. (laughs) Well, and yet at the same time, and you've said this a couple of times, I think it's a great reminder for us all. And that is, it's not complicated. That doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's incredibly difficult when it's a big goal, but it does not need to be complex. It does not need to be overwhelming or intimidating. If there's a plan, and I know you just used the word, the commitment, you make that a commitment. And you make it one of those things that is very much, very much inclusive of all that you guys have shared with us. It 
can happen. You guys prove that. They are Jen Raby. She is a buckle recipient from the 2018 <laughs> Western States Endurance Run. He is David Carter, a 2018, I would say, more than just a finisher. He is a conqueror of the world's toughest foot race, and they are a wealth of wisdom and insight, not just for these events, but for life and for all of us as we intend to be better tomorrow than what we were even today. We're going to take a quick break. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's been a long, hot summer, but cooler temps are finally here, and so are new fall run ATL shirts. We've got seven new fall styles and colors for both men and women. Look good and feel good with a soft cotton-like material but constructed with technical fabrics to wick moisture away so you can stay warm. Need something a little more casual? We've got some tri-blend shirts for that comfortable, casual look when you're just relaxing. These shirts are available at all seven Big Peach Running Company locations and online at BigPeachRunningCo.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast. D2, the phrase in my mind now is even better than expected. I had high hopes. I knew we would have fun with Jen and David, but listening to them and allowing them to recount their summer with us, as well as share guidance that has so much application in so many aspects of our life, it exceeded even my lofty expectations and was better than what I think we could have anticipated. Thanks to them for being with us. What did you take away as something that you will now think about that could have only been heard here on the Run ATL podcast? Well, I think, you know, um, I think it was uh, David that said it, that, you know, the, the human body is capable of, of many things. And, and our limitation is, is what's in our mind, what's in, it's in our brain. Right. And we put that on ourselves. And it's just a matter, just like Jen said, it's just trying to convince yourself to have that battle with yourself when you're in those tough places and to push forward. And I think that's a, a lesson that doesn't have to appeal just to an ultra race. It, I think it could, it's could so very, a lot of aspects of our lives. So true. And, and certainly I hope every one of you were as encouraged as what D2 and I were with the guidance we received. I mentioned this name, certainly a legacy for a broadcast like this, Marshall Ulrich. If you've not listened to that particular episode, do yourself a favor and do so. We also would be remiss if we did not remind you that very quickly approaching October 24th to be exact at 7 o'clock p.m. on the historic Marietta Square at the Strand Theater, Marshall D2, as you know, will be here in town. And he will be doing quite a presentation as we talk about journeys to the extreme and obviously the expeditions that he's done. For those of you who are not familiar with this that is quickly coming to my calendar and to D2's, we'll put a link in the show notes. But it is going to be an awesome evening. Tales plenty will be told and inspiration in significant doses will be had. Come join us on October 24th for that evening with Marshall Ulrich. Again, that's at 7 p.m. We'll make sure you have easy access to how you can get tickets for those of you in and around the Marietta Square. If you are seeing a sizable amount of traffic that evening, you will want to be part of the fun. It is because Marshall's in town 
and endurance sports are on the agenda. The other thing that I have to say that was an awesome reminder for me, we talked about at the onset that Jen and David, they're real people. We're not talking about people who are getting paid for athletic accomplishments. We're not talking about people who do this solely for a living. That is the definition of being run ATL. These are the people who we have as local athletes. These are the people we have, quite frankly, even for you and for me as role models, but they're also friends and neighbors and coworkers. And when we think about what run ATL as a mindset is, it is what Jen and David proved, getting the most out of your fitness routine day in and day out. That's right. And all this, you know, talk about, you know, training in the heat and 135 miles and 100 plus weather and Western states and all this, it's got me thinking about cooler temps and just embracing the cold weather. Fall has arrived. Fall has arrived. And with that, we have new Run ATL long sleeve shirts. What a perfect setup. Indeed. Run ATL. Tell us all about it. So if you, if you still, you know, if it's still not cold enough for you, we do have a new short sleeve for both men and women. And we do have three new colors, long sleeve for both men and women, and one hoodie for both men and women. So those are now available in stores. So they're available at all your um, local Big Peach Running Company stores and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. How about that? So Jen and David, all of our listeners, you and I, we are all Run ATL. We appreciate you being part of the Run ATL podcast. Do not fret. We will be back in just two weeks. But in the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered under.